Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live this week from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman. I'm sitting across from Mr. Shane Reeves. How are you doing tonight, Trey? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm excited. It's nice when you get that surprise, when somebody walks into the shop. We've always talked about you can tell a good shop by when the reps visit it just for their own enjoyment. And all. And tonight, Sean Hardiman walked into our shop here at Crown. I don't know if it was for my own enjoyment or not. Uh, I always love coming here, but, you know, had to do some sales uh, action there, too, as well. <laughs> Got to fill in those empty shelf uh, holes in the shelf. Well, now, Sean represents General Cigars, and you, re- you represent, that's a lot of lines of cigars. That's a huge umbrella for everything yeah, to be under. Yeah, please don't ask me to list all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give our viewers a, a popsicle headache. Well, so one of the things that we do when we start off every show is, is light up a cigar, and you were kind enough to provide the cigars this week, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're smoking? Yeah, this is the Partagas Heritage. Uh, this is a great cigar. This stick has a Honduran Osa wrapper leaf on the outside, which is a proprietary wrapper leaf to General Cigar Company. Uh, it's, it has a natural citrus element. Uh, that tobacco, when you smoke it in pure format, it just jumps out at you. So it's got a natural citrus element, and then we use the same filler tobacco that we used in the incredibly exclusive and rare Partagas 160. So it's, it's got a great blend behind it, really solid, medium-bodied cigar, very rich. And like I said, it has that citrus element to it as well. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to getting this. Uh, I, I've never had this, so I, I always, I always love getting to try new stuff. Yeah. This this will be a first for me as well. And the cold draw, I do get a little bit of that citrus that you're tasting. It's a dark cigar, but it does seem light. It seems like it's... What do they rate this? Do they rate this a medium, a full, or how do they rate this cigar? I think it's smack dab on medium. Everyone's palate's different, so... General Cigar likes to say, you know, a cigar is, cer- every company does this, where they say a cigar is a certain body, uh, but it's really all down to the consumer who's smoking it. For me, it's more medium, medium plus, but it, it's a full flavored stick. You know, it's got a lot of flavor, a lot of deep, dark flavors there. It's almost a little bit decadent would be the easiest way for me to describe it. Uh, but yeah, I'd say it's smack dab on medium. It, I'm definitely getting a little bit out off the start, so I'm I'm, in, I'm interested to see how it opens up and changes over the the length of the cigar. So, uh, want to talk about you a little bit? Just kind of get our listeners kind of up to speed on who you are. Obviously, uh, your accent gives away the fact that you are not a native Tennessean. No, I am not. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, so, tell us a little bit about how you came into repping cigars. Yeah, I got I got a uh, so I've been in the industry for eight years now. I was working in a retail establishment. Uh, establishment just like Crown, uh, so that is a reason why I come hang out here. It's it's, it's a little bit of the familiar for me, um, and I was managing there for four years, and I just got a text message from uh, John Carney, the vice president of sales from uh, La Florida Minicana, and he reached out to me and asked me if I wanted the rep position down in the Atlanta market. That was about four years ago. I took it, worked for La Flor for two years, and then General uh, kind of came and scooped me up. How are you like? How do you like the change of Atlanta? Uh, I like it. I have family there, uh, so that's always great. Get to spend a lot of time with my family. Uh, but it's it's just a total change of pace. Uh, the the phrase "Southern gentleman" actually exists. Everyone's so nice. Uh, it's actually refreshing uh, for once, instead of getting yelled at all the time, uh, like <laughs> it is in Rhode Island. 
Uh, Rhode Island's great, don't get me wrong, uh, but I, I do like it uh, in Georgia, and I, and I love Nashville, so I spend a lot of time out here as well. I notice I've been seeing you around a lot more lately. Oh, yeah. Territory shrink and, uh, and, and anything that gives me a little bit more uh, time in Nashville, I'm all about. So what would you say is the biggest difference between General and LaFleur in terms of, as, as a rep, you know, your, your day-to-day? Uh, I'd say scope. Uh, just a size difference between the companies, but then the personalities as well. I mean, there's a lot of parallels that you can draw between the two. More than anything, I mean, the differences would be the products. Uh, you know, you have one that that pretty much is known for full-bodied sticks, and then you have a company that's known for its mild and medium-bodied products. So operating uh, as a sales rep for both companies, it's a, it's a similar experience. I mean, there's not really that much of a difference. The only thing with uh, General is there's more opportunity for me to grow within the company. Uh, and that was one of the major determining factors for me to come to General. Plus, I really liked a lot of the product. I, I was able to get exposed to it because my former roommate was the rep before me uh, for General. Started to really dig a lot of their stuff. So it was just an easy transition. And uh, I love working for General. They've, they've done a tremendous job taking care of me. Uh, and, and I like what we're doing as a company really starting to put some innovative new products out there with the Macanudo Inspirado, the Amazon Basin Trilogy. Uh, we've, we, we've done a really good job being on the forefront of the industry and putting out some products that are proprietary that no one else in this industry can put out on the market. Uh, we're also using a lot of tobaccos that no one else in this industry can put out on the market. So we're doing a lot of unique stuff and I'm, I'm really starting to truly believe 100% what we're doing as a company. That's awesome. One of the things that I've known, I mean, we've known each other for about three years now, I think, oh, so yeah. going, going back to Atlanta. Yep. And uh, one of the things, you've always been a cigar nerd, and that's oh, something yeah. that you and I have always shared as being just, does has general, the, the multiple brands, does that give you the, the opportunity to kind of dig in on that a little bit more? Oh, it's crazy. Uh, you know, Lido, Lido was great to me. Same thing with Tony at La Florida Minicana. Same thing with John Carney. Uh, they gave me the foundation of tobacco knowledge. Same thing with the old owner of the, the brick and mortar I used to work at. They gave me the foundation and general cigars really given me the ability to run with it. Uh, given me the ability to, to be involved in some of the blend work that we're doing there. Uh, given me the ability to, to be involved in some of the marketing aspects that, that, that we're uh, working on. Uh, one of the new ones is our new website for Punch Cigars. So it's punchcigars.com. Uh, we're just revamping and revitalizing some of the marketing behind that brand, and I've been involved in that, and and it's been a lot of lot of great things. They've really allowed me to, to get involved and and just unleash all that nerdiness onto the <laughs> cigar industry uh, and go around and teach people about cigars, which is what I really what I really am. Is I I uh, pride myself in being an educator. I pride myself in being someone that will never shy away from a cigar question. If I can't answer it, sorry, uh, but most of the time you're in good shape if you ask me something. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoy that part of it. And uh, General Cigar gives me that platform uh, to go out there and share what I know about the industry. And, and also it gives me the platform to continue to learn about cultivation, fermentation, blend work, everything. I mean, every aspect of the industry. So General Cigar, one of the things I love about General when you recommend a general cigar to someone, there's a good chance they can lay their hand on it. You know, I can talk about how good the Velvet Rat is, but it's like, you know, catching a picture of a unicorn riding Haley's Comet. I really like the availability of what General Cigar brings to the table. 
And this Protagus, now Protagus was originally a Cuban brand, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It's yep. a Cuban name, and the Cohiba is a general. Mm-hmm. And all, how is General handling all of the Cuban brandings they have with the potential of Cuba fixing to become, Cubans fixing to become legal? It's, it's interesting. Uh, that's a really good question. If you, if you were in one of my seminars, I'd have to give you a cigar. Uh, so it's, it's, we like the heritage. Just take a brand like Partagas and, and the heritage behind Partagas. I mean, the brand was founded in 1845 in Cuba. Ramon C. Fuentes himself, when he defected from Cuba, started the Partagas brand here in the United States. So there's a ton of heritage behind that brand. Uh, that's why we have cigars called Partagas Heritage, ironically enough. Uh, but we, what we try and do is we try and do the brand's justice. Um, what we're trying to do is further that name brand recognition by making great products that stand up to what people perceive as a Cohiba and a Partagas. Uh, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to further the legacy of those brands. And uh, with Cuban cigars possibly entering the marketplace, <clears throat> sorry, I smoked like eight cigars today, so <laughs> hold on one sec. There we go. Now we're good. Um, first, I don't actually think they're ever going to enter the marketplace. Um, so I don't think it's ever uh, an issue that we're, we're going to have to address. Uh, with the FDA regulations, as soon as 2021 rolls around, if the, if the cigar wasn't marketed and sold on the market in 2007, it will have to go through an approval process, which we don't even know what that looks like yet. And it's going to be a very rigorous process that's going to be very cost prohibitive. Um, at least $200,000 per size per line uh, with a three-year backlog, possibly. Uh, so it's going to take a long time for these companies to get any of these blends approved. So because Cubans weren't able to enter the market in 2007, unless we see significant FDA changes and changes to the pending regulations that, were, that are going to hit our industry, I don't foresee Cuban cigars entering the United States market. Um, other than the way they are now, where if you're in Cuba, you can bring some back. I mean, I think that, that you're going to still see that. I don't think that's ever going to change now. Uh, but I don't think you're ever going to see them available for sale in the United States. So what we try and do is we try and create our own heritage in, in certain regards. So we want to keep innovating. We want to keep bringing out products under those, those Cuban name brands. Uh, I mean, you take the Cohiba Red Dot. That's got one of the best stories in the industry. You take the Partagas Ramoni Ramon has one of the best stories in the industry. Uh, and we're trying to create our own heritage. We're trying to create our own Cuba, essentially, I guess. Uh, so, so that's what we're in the mindset of doing. Um, we're trying to, it's a, damn, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> it's tough to answer. Uh, so yeah, we're just trying to do our own thing, uh, be, in, be, be as innovative as we possibly can and, and continue to deliver. Uh, with those name brands and make sure that the people that have been smoking those name brands for years, if they pick up a Cohiba Red Dot or a Partagas uh, Yellow Box from 10 years ago and they pick one up now and they haven't smoked one in 10 years, it's the same exact smoking experience. That's what we want to maintain. Um, and that's what we do with those brands. We do a really good job of that. Now, how many factories does the General Cigar brand have? Three as of right now. And they're in... We have one in Nicaragua, we have one in Honduras, and then we have our largest, which is in the Dominican Republic. Okay, so a lot of what we do smoke, because I notice a lot of what I do smoke comes out of the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. From that, and I'm, now I'm a Nicaraguan cigar fan from the word go. Mm-hmm. Um, Cubans don't really enter my train of thought other than the question I just asked, just mm-hmm. because I'd rather have a Nicaraguan. I'm just, 
more it's that more warm, tuned to my warm, palate. That warms my heart when you say that. It really does, honestly. <laughs> I love hearing that. I, I can't hear that enough, trust me. Now, you and I met at Casa de Monte Cristo several months ago mm-hmm. and got to talk, and, and you started talking about the blending process and you getting involved in that, mm-hmm. in the nuts and bolts of that. Run us through a little bit when they say, okay, fellas, let's create a new cigar. What do we do? Oof. Uh, man, where do I start? So, so these days, what we're trying to do is, first, I'll talk about how I would blend. Um, with the FDA and the, and the regulations that we have upon us already, it's very difficult to, to create something new because it will have to go through an approval process at some point. But that doesn't stop us from innovating, so we have a lot of things that we can do as a company. So what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get a base blend. We'll get an idea of what we want to do. Uh, then we'll find ways to, to create different flavor profiles with that blend. So there's a million different ways. I mean, you can change up the fermentation. You could take stalk-cut Connecticut broadleaf versus uh, just regular primed Connecticut broadleaf. There's so many different ways that you can go about taking a, a base blend and making it whatever you want. And, and, and Rick Rodriguez of CAO, our master blender for CAO, he'll tell you flat out he loves working with broadleaf because he can make 10 different cigars out of, out of broadleaf that have 10 different flavor profiles. You can do so many different things, and that's the way that we're going to continue to innovate at General Cigars. We're going to take a blend, and we're going to we're going to throw something different at you. It's not going to be the Connecticut Broadleaf that you've grown to enjoy. We're going to we're going to change it up. We're going to make it a little different. We're going to ferment it maybe three times instead of just once. We're going to maybe throw a stalk cut uh, wrapper leaf at you. We're gonna we're gonna change the game a little bit on on some of the blends that we're coming out with. Me personally, I like blending based off a of palate feel. So the guys that, the, the, the blenders that I've fallen in love with over the years and what cigars they've made has all been how it interacts with my palate more than it even is flavor profile. I hate a cigar. I mean, we've all been there when you're smoking a cigar, mainly from Nicaragua, that'll dry your palate out. You're sitting there, you're smoking it, and it feels like your mouth was in a blast furnace. Uh, you just can't get any moisture. I mean, you're going to drink two bottles of water while you're smoking that cigar. And then you'll have the other side of it, mainly Dominican cigars, where you're smoking it and you're just constantly salivating. There needs to be a balance between the two. So I like blenders that come out with the mindset of, let's create a cigar that has some tremendous balance. Let's make sure that this cigar doesn't dry your palate out, doesn't make you salivate. And there's certain ways that you can do that. There's certain tobaccos that are very savory, there's certain tobaccos that are fairly dry. And it's finding a mixture of those two, allowing it to combust as well, and allowing it to have a lot of flavor. It's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult process, but the guys, I think, that have been the best cigar blenders traditionally have found that way to find balance between that blend, making sure that it's savory, but it's also a little bit dry, so it has that balance, not making you salivate, not drying your mouth out. Uh, so me personally, I love the interplay of Nicaraguan and Dominican tobaccos. Nicaraguan tobacco is inherently dry on the palate, especially from Esteli, and then Dominican Piloto Cubano is very savory. So you have to find a way to to have those two tobaccos play together. Piloto also will dominate the flavor profile of the cigar, so you have to be careful how you use it. So so there's certain ways that you can blend tobacco um, to get that balance, but it's a fine balance hate to use that word again but <laughs> it's a fine balance it's very difficult to achieve so there's some guys out there that really know what they're doing 
Uh, we're lucky at General Cigar that we have a whole team of them. So when you go to the factory, there's a table with 60 different tobacco leaves on it, and you can just have, go have fun and just work with everything. You're going to make stuff that's horrible. You're going to make stuff that's great. Uh, you just have everything in front of you, anything from Colombian tobacco, Brazilian tobacco. Uh, we even had Italian tobacco last time I was down there. We have, uh, then you'll have Esteli from six different farms. You know, so you'll have all these different tobaccos that you can mess with, and, and all of them have different characteristics. So uh, that's the beauty of working with General is just the sheer amount of tobacco when you're a nerd like myself that you have to work with that's there. Uh, it's tremendous. I mean, you can... It, it'd be like... Uh, painting on a canvas when you only have five different paint colors you can mess with. Well, when you're a general cigar, you have 150 different colors that you can mess with uh, and you can create a masterpiece. So that's the beauty of, of general cigar. We just have, there's not a tobacco out there that's off limits for us, pretty much. Well, and I think that showed up in a real big way this year with the Amazon Basin Trilogy. Oh, yeah. I mean, that you want to talk about innovating by changing the process. Um, I, mean, I know the, the fermentation. You can, you, we've talked about it on this show a little bit because Shane and I have both smoked the, the Anaconda and the Amazon Basin. Um, but can you kind of explain maybe in a little bit better detail what makes that process so, so special? Yeah, it's incredibly unique. If you know anything about Dominican Andulo tobacco, which is a much more well-known tobacco in the industry, the, the Braganza that we use inside of the Amazon uh, basin is a tobacco that is, is done very much in that same mold as the Andulo. So it's essentially pretty much wrapped and wrapped and wrapped around. So the tobacco goes into almost like a cone. It's constantly wrapped with rope, and it forces that tobacco to fuse together which is actually something when you're in the factory, that's the last thing you want to happen. So it's kind of ironic how we're using a tobacco where other companies are, and we're, we are as well, when you're in the factory, that's the last thing you want. You don't want tobacco to fuse together. This is tobacco that fuses together. Uh, it's Brazilian. It's from the Amazon. And it's tobacco that fuses together, and you actually, it'll actually look like a hockey puck. And you'll shave the outside of that tobacco off so it almost looks like a strip of beef jerky, and you put that in the center of the cigar. It's just really unique, and you have, to, you have to surround it with highly combustible tobacco, so we use Colombian tobacco inside of the core, and Colombian's very sweet as well, so it really pairs well with that, with that Braganza tobacco inside of it. And it's just a unique product. It's proprietary. No one else has that tobacco. And then when you get to the Anaconda, the Anaconda has that tobacco, the Braganza, and it also has this tobacco called Fuma M. Corda, which is a similar style of tobacco, except instead of it being wrapped in rope, they actually tie the tobacco together and they make it into a rope and through a process of straining that tobacco with tons of pressure, it allows that tobacco to fuse together. So it's a very similar style of tobacco as the Braganza, but I think Fuma and Corda is a little bit stronger and it's not as sweet. So it's, it's more for the power. The guy that's looking for power is going to like the Fuma and Corda and the guy looking for more sweet, a little bit more flavor is going to be looking for the Braganza. And the Amazon Anaconda has both, and then it has a proprietary Brazilian wrapper leaf on the outside called Bahino. And that's something that no other company in the industry is using, and that is a very sweet tobacco, a little leathery on the palate, but it's a very sweet tobacco. So you put it all together, you're getting a sweet, full-bodied in the Anaconda, and then you're getting a very sweet, medium-bodied cigar in the Amazon Basin. Does it require a certain type of tobacco that can stand up to that level of strain? I think all tobacco probably could. 
Uh, I mean, they don't have problems doing that in the Dominican Republic. Okay. So I'm, I'm sure you could do it with all of them. It's just they actually make that tobacco for chew tobacco in, in Brazil. And it's the same thing with Andulo. Okay. They're, they're mainly chewing that. So it's, a, it's, it's very difficult to work with. It's not an easy tobacco to work with. So a lot of manufacturers will shy away from it. So that's why we only see it in, in really three regions in the world. Uh, you don't see Andulo in Nicaragua. You don't see it in Honduras. You don't see it in Ecuador. You only see it in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and you only see it in Brazil, that style of tobacco. So I'm sure you could do it in more places, especially like broadleaf. You could easily do it broadleaf. Um, but for whatever reason, it's cultural in those areas. So it's a, it's a cultural phenomenon uh, that we've just grabbed a hold of and made some awesome cigars out of. So we talk a lot on the show about the mechanics of the cigar. And one of the things like this Spartaga that I'm smoking now has that rough hewn wrapper and I love that feel that to me is my feel but you get some that look like the wrapper was sanded and painted you know practically mm-hmm. put on the cigar how is the how is those two processes different is that the different blink type of tobacco or is there a process to sand and polish it <laughs> you guys are asking some good questions some of these are actually ones I can't answer which is ironic uh I know the answer. I just can't can't broadcast it. Um, yeah, it's some of it is shade grown. So what, so you got to think about it this way: uh, when you have shade grown tobacco, it's going to be pretty because the the leaf itself doesn't have to protect against solar radiation because the cheesecloth is going to block sixty percent of the solar radiation. So you're going to get a really clean, beautiful looking wrapper leaf when you shade grow. Uh, but when you sun grow. That's when it gets a little nasty. The, the tobacco gets a little ruddy looking, gets a little toothy. When you sun grow the tobacco, the plant itself has to create oils. And the oils are just like sunblock for us. Those oils are to block the solar radiation so that the sunlight doesn't damage the cells of the plant. So you're going to get a thicker leaf. When it's thicker, thicker, it's not as pliable. So when it's not as pliable, that's when you're going to see the ruts. You're going to see the tooth. You're going to see all that. And that's simply because you can't stretch it out. And when you're, when you're able to take the shade grow, which is thinner, it's more pliable, it's stretchier, you're able to stretch that out. And when you stretch it out, it, it, be, it just creates a better looking wrapper leaf. So, so it's the th- difference between that 18-year-old supermodel and the 73-year-old fisherman that spent his l- entire life in the sun. Is that leathery skin versus the... Ver- <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I've never, <laughs> never thought of it that way. Yeah. No, that's great, actually. I could use that. He, I'm stealing that from you. <laughs> he spends a lot of time thinking about 18-year-old supermodels. Yeah, don't we all? You You have to bear with us. <laughs> so... How many rollers are in the average plant? Oh, man. Um, I would say for most manufacturers, it's probably around 40, 40 and 50. A general cigar, I, I, don't even, I don't even know how I could answer that question. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, what's really cool is we have these uh, reward systems for our, for our employees. So what the thing that when you tour the factory... There's actually rollers that they, the company wants you to go over and congratulate while they're rolling cigars. We put these green flags next to them, and uh, those will be the top rollers. Those are the ones that for that month or for that week or whatever the system is. Sorry, I don't really know what the system is, but um, they, they showed uh, they did a great job. Uh, so their cigars were making weight. They, they passed through all of the major quality control um, uh, processes without any rejections. 
So those are the ones that we'll go out there and we'll congratulate. There's probably about 30 or 40 of those rollers at any given time in the factory. And then we'll have a whole host of rollers um, that are there. And they're artisans. Some, I mean, I got paired up with, with two different rollers uh, and I had to roll my own cigars. And it's just amazing to see how skilled they are. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's a total art form. I was able to roll about 30 cigars last time I was there. I can promise you they will not be making their way to the market anytime soon. <laughs> uh, they are not even remotely close to the quality that, that we need them to be at. Uh, it was really cool to do, and, uh, and, and I was able to smoke. I think there's nothing cooler than being able to smoke a cigar that you rolled yourself. That was, that was a neat experience, uh, but they're, they're amazing. It's just amazing to see what, what they're able to do. Uh, and I found bunching the tobacco to be the most difficult part of the process. The wrapper leaf, not as difficult, in my opinion, but the bunching is an art form in its own right. Very, very difficult, in, in, insanely, incredibly difficult. Uh, and we roll entubado, so we're making microtubes essentially inside of, the, inside of the cigar, and that allows for airflow. Because if you have accordion style, which is the other, the other way that they call it, it's just tobacco leaves layered on top of each other. When they're layered on top of each other, there's no structure to allow smoke to come through. Now, when you're, you're making them in microtubes, uh, essentially, and you're rolling that tobacco up into a tube before you put the, the tobaccos together, before you go into the bunching process, it allows airflow. It also allows structure within that cigar. And to see them create those microtubes with just one hand, when I'm sitting there thinking, I need four hands <laughs> to do this, uh, I need a friend. Can I phone a friend? You know, it's, it's amazing to see them do the processes that they're able to do and it just comes through repetition and passion for the industry they're the most passionate people you can run into is cigar rollers awesome awesome people they do a great job down there so it's just neat it's it's insanely difficult it's amazing that they're able to do this and we're able to sell these things at less than 10 bucks a lot of the times you know it's just it's amazing to me how long did it take you to roll those 30 cigars uh, about an hour how long would it have taken one of the the guy you were paired up with, how long would it have taken him? Oh, man, uh, 20 minutes, not even, 10 <laughs> minutes, uh, somewhere in that neck of the woods. Yeah, they, wow. were, they were whipping through them. I'm, I'm sitting there watching like, wow, and it took me forever. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more after this. When we come back, I want to talk, you mentioned quality control. Mm-hmm. That's something we haven't really talked a whole lot about on the show before. I mean, we talk about construction and things like that, but I want to I talk about some of the ways that you guys quality control your, your cigars. Um, before they hit the market. So we'll talk about that when we come back after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is Shane Reeves sitting across from Trey Dedman, blowing his ears out. <laughs> Welcome Sorry, back, everybody. Trey. I was a little close to the microphone. <laughs> I get excited and I start talking louder, and I have to make myself slow down because as I start sp- as I start getting excited talking about the nuts and bolts of cigars, and we got a great guest for that tonight. We have Sean Hardiman from General Cigar, and I've got to say I'm, I'm really pleased with the uh, the Partagas Heritage that you brought. 
this evening. I I fell in love with Partagas when they came out with the Black Label a few years ago. Oh, yeah. I'm showing my age. It was a decade ago. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's one of those cigars that I don't pick up nearly enough. So I, I, I appreciate you opening my eyes a little bit here on this. Yeah, Partagas has always been a brand since I've been on. You know, I'm a huge Dominican tobacco fan. I, I, I think Dominican tobacco is the best in the world. That's just me. It's my, my uh, preferences. So, of course, I'm going to gravitate towards the, the traditional Dominican brands, and Partagas has always been one that I've jumped all over since I've been on. So one of the questions that we ask uh, every guest that we have on for the first time uh, is, what would be your Desert Island cigar? So price being no object, unlimited quantities, but you can only smoke one cigar for the rest of your life. Oh, man. There's two of them that immediately come to mind. Um, I'm a huge Cameroon rapper leaf guy. A huge Cameroon fan. That's uh, my favorite rapper. That or Ecuadorian Sumatra. So I would, I would probably go with the Partagas Ramoni Ramon. Uh, my company knows I, that's my favorite cigar. I order at least four boxes a month for myself from the company. Uh, I love that cigar. I smoke it all the time. It's they, just something. They make you pay retail, I'm sure, right? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't pay at all. The perks of general. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, shouldn't even tell people that. Uh, there'll be someone uh, knocking on my door uh, from the Department of Revenue in Georgia or something like that. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just a great cigar. The story behind it is tremendous. The cigar itself is tremendous. Uh, when we came out with it, it was something I immediately fell in love with. It was we, we released it last year at the trade show. The tobacco itself. Uh, just the story. It's, it's got this tobacco that Ramon Cifuentes, the godfather of the Partagas brand, brought these seeds over. I don't know if he brought them from Cuba. We don't really know that much about the seeds, which is ironic. And they've been in storage since 1967. Oh, wow. And we took those seeds and through eight growing seasons in four years, our, our crack agronomists, these guys are the best in the industry. I don't care what anybody says. Our agronomists were able to regenerate that tobacco, and that's the filler tobacco that's in the Ramoni Ramon. That's, we don't even know really what it is. I, I can't tell you. I don't think anybody really can tell you what the seed variety is. We just call it 1967. It's a tremendous tobacco. That's the filler tobacco that's inside of that cigar, and then it has a proprietary wrapper leaf on the outside from Balita, which is a small farm that the Merrifeld family owns in Cameroon, Africa, and it's just an oilier a little bit more dense version of Cameroon. So Cameroon's known to be really toothy and a little bit brittle, super thin, very difficult to roll. The tobacco that we get from Belita is hardier. It's got more oils. It's, it's less toothy. It's a little bit easier to work with. And it just gives a different take on Cameroon. And, and just the uniqueness of that cigar is something that, and the flavor profile, it just drew me to that cigar immediately. And it's the cigar I smoke at least one of a day. Oh, at wow. least every day. I have at least one of them some point i'll have to give that so, a shot it's a great cigar if i'm bringing a new brother of the leaf in if i'm starting someone someone says hey i've always wanted to smoke cigars mm -hmm. and we walk into a humidor with general cigars what do i put in their hand for their first cigar oof um most people would say macanudo cafe so our, our mildest cigar that we make i think it all depends um i always use probably stupid that i use it but i always use it uh it just depends on how they like their coffee uh it's it's something as similar as simple as that someone that likes their coffee black is going to like something 
I'm just going by palate feel again. That's how I uh, operate. My brain operates. I don't think many people operate that way in the industry. Um, but I'll go by palate feel. So if, if you like your coffee black, then you're going to like Dominican tobacco. So I'm going to put you in something milder Dominican. If you like your coffee with cream or a lot of sugar, maybe try and find you something with a Brazilian wrapper leaf on the outside. That's, it's going to be a little bit creamier, a little bit sweeter. If you like your coffee with just cream, Nicaraguan, if you can find a nice mild Nicaraguan, that palate feel is going to equate really, really well to, to the Nicaraguan stuff. So it just all depends. But, you know, chances are if you throw a Macanudo Cafe at them or, or, or maybe even the new Macanudo Inspirado white label, you're, you're, they'll be in good shape. At least they won't die. That's, a, that's the most <laughs> important thing. Yeah, they won't now, get sick. Does that change if it's someone who smoked cigarettes, or do, do you take that into account? You can. Yeah, th- their tolerances will be a little bit higher, so they'll be able to handle the nicotine, typically speaking. So you can put them in something medium, full-bodied, depending on you know what, what kind of stuff they consume in their regular day life. I mean, if they're like a Coca-Cola drinker or they like decadent things then maybe a Cohiba black label or Inspirato black or, or something along those lines the nicotine probably won't knock them out as long as they do not inhale we all know that of course but <laughs> cigarette smokers every time I put them on a cigar uh, the first three or four draws they take off that is just hack city because they're inhaling it uh, I've had a couple people turn green on me uh, over the past so especially when you work for Lafleur, that can happen quite frequently uh, yeah so so yeah, it just all depends. It, it's you got to in order to really put someone in the right cigar, even when they're a beginner, you kind of have to know the person, know what they consume on a daily basis, and that'll give you the the, the right idea uh, what to what to pair, you know, with it, you know, drink wise or what cigar they're going to enjoy. All those things. I mean, it, how many people have you seen the digger take down? Oh man, <laughs> a lot of people. The worst was this guy punched the middle of the digger, cut both sides of it. And smoked it from the middle. He called it the Digger Gas Mask. And I've never seen a human being more sick uh, than that guy after he did that. So yeah, that was a little a little aggressive. Uh, but the NAS is the one that I've seen kill people. I was talking people. to Shane about the NAS just the other day. Uh, Stands for nice and smooth for the people out there that are listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because this Partagas that I'm smoking now, this Heritage. If I had to sum it up in one word, I would say smooth. It has that, it goes across the palate very gently. It's not a heavy cigar. It's not like a Lafleur that's going to really just take you to take you to task. Mm-hmm. This Heritage seems very smooth, goes down easy. Just a great smoke for a relaxing evening. It's yeah. a great follow-up smoke. Mm-hmm. It's it's not my first cigar of the day, mm-hmm. and and it's fitting the bill for that so well. I'm I'm still getting all the flavor out of it. I'm not losing anything, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's something I really look for because uh, I rarely just smoke one cigar a day, and so it's it's always nice to have something that you know can can come on the tail end of something maybe a little stronger and and not get lost. Yeah, and 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 to your point to what you what you said earlier. I mean, when you're talking about tobacco being smooth and the, and the cigar itself being smooth, that, that all comes down to proper aging and fermentation. Lito's a little different because he cultivates differently. So he's going to cultivate for strength. It, that's, that's how he does things. So it's not an aging or anything like that thing that, that creates that body. It's more cultivation than anything. Uh, when you look at what we're doing, what we want is every single cigar that we have 
in our portfolio has to be smooth. We want to make sure that it's smooth. We, it's the retrohale. You know, when you blow the smoke out of your nose, we don't want your nose to get set on fire. If we're doing that, then, then chances are we're not achieving our goal as a company. And that's where flavor also comes from. You're going to age and ferment that tobacco together as a combined you know, three-year period. You're not fermenting for three years, but together with the fermentation period and that aging period, at least three years, that's what creates that smooth. Older tobacco is milder tobacco. It's also more flavorful. It gives that, uh, that, that tobacco the ability to turn its starches into sugars. So you're going to get sweeter, more flavorful tobacco the longer it ferments and the longer it ages versus tobacco that we get in our, a lot of the full-body products that are out there on the market. It's a, it's a double-edged sword. They have to meet demand immediately, so they can't let the tobacco sit for three years. They have to let that tobacco sit for a year and a half, and they have to put it out on the market. That's going to create full-bodied smokes. Um, it's just kind of how it goes. I mean, younger tobacco equals stronger tobacco. Older tobacco is going to be more smooth, more flavorful. So we're going to ear always on the side of of the you know smoother, milder, medium tobaccos that have more flavor, while other manufacturers out there are going to make the powerhouses because they're only aging and fermenting that tobacco for a year and a half. I mean, neither, neither way is wrong, in my opinion. I think you can make great cigars with year-and-a-half-old tobacco. You can great, make great cigars with three-year-old tobacco. Me, personally, um, after getting my palate killed for, for years and years and years of smoking just everything that was full, I mean, it's been like six years of my career smoking everything. The strongest thing I could find is what I would smoke. Now I've really grown to appreciate a medium-bodied cigar that's very flavorful. I mean, that's what I'm looking for when I'm going to grab a stick. Even mild, a lot of the times, that's flavorful. So I really, really have found a good spot for myself from working uh, for working with General. I mean, it's just, that's what we do. We make really good medium-bodied cigars. We do make some full-bodied stuff that is tremendous, that we that we're trying to we're trying to innovate, so we're trying to make some fuller body tobaccos. I mean, cigars out of some fuller body tobaccos. So we're doing that. But for me, I'll stick to that medium bodied realm and be happy. So you mentioned the fermentation process, and you know, I'm I'm familiar with fermentation as it applies to you know alcohol and and converting the starches to sugars and 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 all that. Talk us through what the purpose and the of fermentation is with tobacco. What are you accomplishing? What's breaking down? What's being created? It, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, so you're thinking uh, you're reducing the acidity in the tobacco. You're getting out trace elements, boron, magnesium, um, also, of course, ammonia, which is the most known. Everyone knows that. But you also have to get the other heavy metals out of there, like boron, magnesium. You also have to make sure that you're turning all those starches to sugar so that you get flavor within that cigar and you're also able to, to get nicotine out of that tobacco as well. Uh, that's very important. You know, we don't want to be putting cigars out there that have 8, 9, 10% nicotine levels. It just makes it very difficult for the consumer to smoke it. it it's, it's, it'll give you, you know, the head buzz. You know, we're going to try and operate in that 4%, 3%, 5% area. Other manufacturers, we'll go let them do the 7%. Um, we'll, we'd rather ferment, get that out of there, make sure that we're, we're getting a cigar out there that's, that's as soon as you get it, it's smokable. So fermentation is incredibly important. It's, it's everything. That's why, that's why we can all use the same ingredients, but if we ferment differently, we're getting different results. We're getting different cigars. Uh, so 
fermentation, I think, is the most important part of the process. It just for me, it is. And I think I think a lot of people would say that. So when we age cigars, we talk a lot on the podcast about aging a cigar. Um, I got a box of cigars year so a year ago that we all said these cigars are young and I let them age for a year and they're now wonderful. A great cigar. Is that a carry is aging a cigar a further step in fermenting or is it a different process occurring? Different process altogether. Because during fermentation you you're gonna have heat. Heat's gonna be a byproduct. That tobacco is gonna be sitting there at at least 110 degrees up to 140 degrees depending on what tobacco varietal it is. You can't replicate fermentation by aging because you're aging at 70% uh, humidity and 70 degrees, typically speaking. Um, During fermentation, we're fermenting at almost 100% humidity. I mean, it's high humidity levels. Uh, And and that's important because the more humidity you have, the more heat you're creating. The more heat you're creating, the the more fermentation that's happening. Now, you don't want too much heat because you're actually going to burn the tobacco. So that means you're not going to want a ton of moisture, right? You're not going to want 100% moisture. You're going to want, you know, 90, 80, somewhere in that neck of the woods, depending on the tobacco. But yeah, the, that, that process is everything. Aging essentially is for a cigar that didn't age long enough, didn't spend enough time in an aging room, maybe didn't hit equilibrium humidity levels. Because when you're, when you're putting the wrapper leaf on a cigar, that wrapper leaf is fully saturated. It's 100% humidity. I mean, it's almost soaking wet when you're putting it on there uh, because it needs to be pliable and stretchy. And then the filler tobaccos is clearly not even, it's not even at 70%. It's going to be much lower than that. So you have to reach that equilibrium humidity level. And sometimes you'll get a cigar, either the tobacco's young, it wasn't fermented long enough. Aging will help some of those, that ammonia get out of there. But chances are, if, you, if you're grabbing something like that, something went wrong in the process because every cigar you pick up should be ready to smoke. I mean, it's just, it's how it should be. Um, and and if, there's, if that's not the case, then they probably rushed it to market. That's, that's, it's probably that simple, something as simple as that. And aging, it will help it, but you, you can never replicate fermentation. So you're gonna get less flavor. It's not gonna be as good of a cigar as something that was properly fermented, but aging will help it for sure. It definitely will allow time for that ammonia to seep out and all those trace elements to get out of that tobacco. So aging can help for sure, but you can't substitute fermentation as as the most important part. Do they have to retrofit these fermentation rooms? You know, I assume they're cedar. I assume we're using red cedar in this. Do they have to ever so often, okay, let's take all the cigars out and let's replace all the cedar? Or does it does the cedar by nature not absorb any of that flavors? You know, um, I always think of when you plant your garden, you don't plant your cucumbers and your watermelons side by side because they cross-pollinate, and then your watermelons taste like cucumbers. <laughs> I didn't and, know that. Yeah. And so how much, when you're talking about these fermentation rooms, how much cross-pollination is going on in there, and is there steps taken to keep that from happening? There's zero. Zero. Um, the, the funny thing is, is, is the, the rooms themselves won't be lined in cedar. You're not... You, You'll rarely see that. Um, cedar's gonna absorb a lot of the ambient humidity. It makes it more difficult to control the humidity levels that are in that in that room. So, you, so you're not really gonna want the room lined in cedar. The, the slats that they're on, the, each individual rows are cedar rows. So the tobacco will be laying on cedar at some point during that fermentation process. 
And then after the tobacco is fermented, they get stored in these gigantic bins, and those bins are cedar bins. So that's how you're going to impart that cedar flavor profile onto the, to the cigar storing in those bins. And then you'll have cedar inside of tubos. All the boxes pretty much are lined in cedar. Um, but, yeah, it's a good question. Man, you're throwing some good ones at me. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things where each individual tobacco is different, so their fermentation is going to be different. It, you, you'll ferment differently for thicker tobacco, thinner tobacco. If you're trying to make a, you know, Connecticut shade, it's going to be a totally different process than Connecticut broadleaf because Connecticut broadleaf sun-grown, shade is shade-grown. So it'll all depend. They're not going to share flavors or anything like that. The only time that you'll see cigars share flavor profiles with each other is when they're not cellowed and they're in a humidor together laying right next to each other for significant amounts of time. Then they'll start to trade some flavor profiles because the aroma of each of those is going to kind of seep into the other one. And it's kind of just how that works. Do they reuse those bins that they store them in? Oh, yeah, all, all the time. And, and you're going to see, so what they'll do is they'll write on the outside of them in chalk. So you'll know, you know, this is Seiko, this is Viso, you know, this is Volato, this is Lajero, this is the, the seed variety, this is where it was grown. We'll even have some factory codes on there, stuff like that, so we know which factory it came from. So there's... You'll, you'll see each individual one of those. You'll also see the old chalk marks where they erased the old uh, codes and all the information that's been on there. So, yeah, we were constantly reusing the bins. And that's also another uh, part of the quality control process. So, hey, you led me right into my yeah, next I question. Say. Yeah, I teased it earlier. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned that kind of piqued my interest was uh, making weight. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing they're weighing the boxes as to make sure they've got the right amount of tobacco in them and things like that. What are some of the other steps that they take? Because obviously you, you can't smoke all of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, of course, the tobacco goes through a sorting process where it's sorted in, 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 a, in a different colors. Right. So you take a Macanudo Cafe. This is the craziest thing I saw when I was in the factory. This is the thing out of everything that was there that blew my mind. Macanudo Cafe's wrapper leaf gets sorted into 21 different colors. And, and you'll never see any of those different... 21 colors in the same box so it's always taken from the same bin so that's step one of quality control there's plenty of others when you're going through the sorting process and you're making sure that tobacco doesn't have holes in it or that it will present well that's another part of the process the main ones for me that i always key in on are you'll take the tobacco someone will take the tobacco we have these these guys that work in the factory that'll take the tobacco to each roller and well the buncher and they'll take the tobacco to the buncher and they, they put them in these neat, neatly uh, assorted bins. And in the bins, there'll be slots. And they'll have exactly the right mixture of tobaccos that you need to put inside of that cigar. And we'll do it for 100 cigars, um, for example. And what we'll do is we'll, the roller will go through that entire bin. And if he made 110 cigars with the bin from that tobacco, we know that he's using not enough tobacco inside of the filler of that cigar. If he, if he rolled 100 cigars, and I mean, if he rolled 90 cigars with that material to make 100, then we know that he used too much tobacco. Then also you'll have another step where you're, you're weighing that tobacco, those, those uh, finished product, you're, uh, you're weighing those cigars in wheels of 50. And then if they don't make weight there, they go through the draw testing process. So there's, there's tons of different little things that we do. I mean, even all the way down to the quality control supervisors that are in there are not people that really associate with the rollers because we don't want them playing favorites. So that's another thing that, that happens. Uh, there's so many steps to the quality control process. It's 
It's amazing. It's it's uh, it is very very rigorous. What's the margin of error on the weight? I'm very curious about this. Obviously, uh, I mean, because 50 cigars only weighs a couple of pounds, so I'd imagine it's, you're talking just a few. Well, it's the islands of grams. Mm-hmm. You got it plus or minus. I'm sure. Yeah, it it it'll all depend on the the vitola. It all depend right. on the the actual cigar itself. So there'll be a tolerance that's built in. It's it's built in in grams, like you said, and they'll make sure that. Uh, it falls within that tolerance level, and if it falls within that tolerance level, chances are you, you got you got something because it's already gone through all the other quality control processes. So you got a good cigar if it gets through that that part of the process. If if it at any point gets rejected, it'll get draw tested immediately. Anything that doesn't meet the PSI uh, levels that we're looking for, those get rejected, and they don't go out as factory seconds. See, that's what everyone thinks. Um, Factory seconds are a whole other thing. I can't even explain where those come from. I have no idea. Lord knows, uh, I have no concept of, of, of where those where those even go come from. Or how that works? Uh, that's something I've never learned about. Um, I'm glad I'm not concerning myself with the seconds market. <laughs> I probably did something wrong in life if I'm if, if I'm in that marketplace. So uh, so yeah, it's just great. We uh, we have all these different quality control practices that we use. Uh, some of it's industry standard. Some of it's proprietary. Uh, and and these, these cigars are, are checked rigorously. I can tell you that right now, yeah. So if you had to narrow it down, because you see smokers all over the country, obviously, going through the, um, going to different shops, what's the number one mistake you see a novice cigar smoker make? This is a funny one. Um, smelling the cellophane. <laughs> You can't smell the cigar through the cellophane. Uh, my personal favorite, which you don't see that happen that often, is whenever you have a cigar that, that has that, that secondary band, that secondary band is attached to a strip of cedar, and that cedar wraps around the cigar. I see it all the time uh, where guys light the cedar as well as the cigar. Uh, that's bad uh, on so many levels. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see the look on that guy's face oh, when man. it catches. Oh, Oh, dude, singeing eyebrows, killing people. I, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And the smell, you know, there's nothing better than smelling, you know, lit cedar, but you don't really, that's not what you're striving to do. Not when it's do. two inches from your face. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I see that all the time. Uh, my favorite thing in the world, though, is when, uh, is when I'm doing an event and they don't want to hear what we have to say. They just are obsessed with Cuban cigars. That drives me bonkers. Um you know, I'll handle it. Always a nice guy for the most part. Uh, do have some edges to me. I'm from Rhode Island. Uh, but but you, try and, you try and handle that as delicately as you possibly can. But, but you've got to go out when you're out. You support the people that are doing the events and you support, you know, if there's a brand ambassador or, or whoever's there, try and do the best you can to support those guys. Um, they could be home with their families, but they're there helping you try and find a cigar that's going to fit your flavor profile, what you like. And to hear that stuff, that's the thing that, like, that sets me over the edge. I, I, I can't stand that. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, the funniest of it all is definitely smelling the cello. That's just, that's, that's my favorite thing in the world. How's that plastic taste? Is that good? Do you smell nice? That plastic? It's good? All right. You're going to love that cigar then. So you've spent a lot of time around master blenders. During blending, how do they cleanse their palate between cigars? Is there a drink? Is there something? Is there something? If I'm having a two-cigar night and I wanted to cleanse my palate between cigars, what would I drink? I cleanse my palate with the next cigar. That's the, that's, that's the best thing to do. Uh, you can use dark chocolate. 
almonds, anything coconut is actually supposedly really good. Um, I say these things; these are things I've heard. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't believe in palate cleansing. I just let it rock. Uh, it just is what it is. Um, the only time I think that it becomes really important to cleanse your palate is when you're smoking the lower priming tobaccos. The lower priming tobaccos are just very palate coating. Um, you smoke if you smoke pure seco or pure Volato, no matter what you do from that point on during the course of the day, every cigar you smoke is going to taste like it. It's just how it works. I, I mean, I can't get into the physics of that or whatever you want to call it, but yeah, that's, it's just, Seiko is very difficult to smoke because it just blows your palate out for the rest of the day. It really does. So those guys, I'm sure they have their own methods uh, of cleansing their palate, but most of the guys I've been around in that process or when I'm you know, mixing some tobaccos together to see what we're going to come up with. Uh, I'll just let it rip. Just let it ride. And uh, because a lot of the times, too, when you're blending that tobacco, you're blending that tobacco together to get a finished product. It hasn't reached equilibrium humidity, which I mentioned earlier. I mean, you've got a saturated wrapper leaf that's going on tobacco that's much less than 70%. So two months down the line, that cigar that you made on that rolling table and at that blending table or blending station is going to taste completely different. Um, you'll get the basics, you'll get the idea of, of what that blend is going to taste like, but that, that two-month period of rest is going to totally change, change that cigar. So you kind of just, you'll stick to your rules of thumbs, what you know tobaccos work really well together. You'll also maybe try and introduce some new tobaccos that you haven't really worked with. And, and then you'll see what it's like two, two months down the line. And, and there's been times where I've put something together and smoked it two months later. It was absolutely horrible, but the day I made it, it was amazing. So it'll, it, it will bring on a life of its own once it has that time to reach equilibrium and, and age a little bit. It'll, it'll change the cigar significantly. So, so, we, were, so we were talking uh, a couple weeks ago on the show. I was smoking the Yellow Rose of Texas from Crown Heads. and. Mm-hmm. You know, I was Great talking. Cigar. I was talking about the fact that that is one of my favorite cigars of all time. Very good cigar. Um, as is the Tennessee Waltz, which are the same cigar. Mm-hmm. But I was talking about the fact that as as many you know probably ten boxes of the Tennessee Waltz as I've smoked, the Yellow Rose is better because I feel like it's the size that that cigar was meant for, that that blend was meant for. Am I talking out of my rear end, or is there something to that? That's, oh no, you're right. I mean, so. Size is, you know, as they as they say, size is everything. Uh, in the cigar industry, it's no different. Uh, you know, most of the time when you're blending, you're putting something together in a Corona or Robusto format. Perfect example, actually, is the Cao Consigliere for me. I, I love the filler tobacco that's inside of that cigar. It's got Colombian filler tobacco, which is one of my favorite tobaccos. You can't use it as wrapper. You can't really use it as binder. It grows like a Christmas tree. You're going to yield 40 plants uh, 40 leaves per plant. Man, I'm speaking. <laughs> well, let me just reset there. You're, you're yielding 40 leaves per plant. Uh, and when you're yielding that much, the, the plants are really small. I mean, the, the plants are small and also the, the leaves themselves are small. So you can't really use it as anything other than filler tobacco, but it's a delicious filler tobacco. It's the sweetest tobacco, sweetest naturally occurring tobacco I've ever smoked. Uh, it needs no flavor aids or anything like that so it doesn't need to be infused or anything like that it's just a super flavorful tobacco and the consigliere has a much bigger ring gauge version of it uh, called the boss and that cigar is what i smoke in that line when i typically will smoke 
you know, smaller Coronas, Robustos, anything smaller is what I typically will go for. But in that cigar, I want to taste the filler tobacco. So I'll smoke it in a bigger ring gauge and you'll be able to taste more of that Colombian tobacco that's inside the core. Um, but yeah, it all depends. It's all blend specific. Most of the time, you're going to want that smaller Vitola because the wrapper leaf is going to provide the strength and the flavor profile, a lion's share of the strength and flavor that that cigar is going to offer. So why water it down with more filler tobacco? Then you get the cases where there's Brazilian Matafina filler, there's Colombian filler tobacco, or maybe Jalapa from Nicaragua, which I love as well. That's my favorite Nicaraguan tobacco, where you might want it in a bigger ring gauge because you get to taste more of that Jalapa, you get to taste more of that Colombian, you get to taste more of that, that Matafina or, or whatever the variety is from uh, Brazil. So, yeah, it sizes everything. You just got to know what size you're going to gear yourself towards based off of the blend. So, kind of coming to the end of the show here, um, appreciate you coming on and sharing a whole lot of cigar knowledge with us. But we have a segment on the show called Cigar Under 8, and General offers a lot of cigars under $8. What is your favorite General cigar right around that $8 mark? All right, so... I'll save you going into the whole explanation again, but the Partagas Ramoni Ramon would be my pick. Uh, then you have the Tarano cigars, which are fantastic. They're going to be right around the $6 price point. And then the new Punch Grand Puro Nicaragua is right, down, right around 7 uh, All of those are phenomenal. So we, we make a lot of great under $8 cigars. I, I think that's really where we shine as a company. We make great cigars in all price points, but what we're able to do at the $5, 6 7 $8 mark is pretty much exclusive to only General Cigar Company. We have some awesome products and that I, range in that. And I was able to have some of the the vault, for the Tarano vault, a few weeks ago, and I've talked about it on the show before, but when I saw the $6 price tag on that, I, I was blown away by how good that cigar is at that price. Oh, and then the wrapper leaf. It's, it's you got a uh, Mexican San Andreas Maduro wrapper leaf on the outside, it's, and it retails at 6 bucks. Um, that's amazing. There's, I don't think there's anything even close with that wrapper leaf on it. Um, and it just shows you the, the exclusivity that we have at General Cigar and, and how we can make cigars affordable that should be 9 10 bucks. And I think the Vault Purple is a perfect example of that. I mean, that's a, that's a cigar that should be retailing at 10 bucks all day long, but we retail at 6 So it's, it's a tremendous product. I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That's a, that's a great cigar. Well, Sean, this has been an absolute blast, and I appreciate you sitting down and talking with us tonight. Um, if anybody out there has any suggestions for future shows, people you want to hear us talk about or topics uh, that you want us to cover, drop us a line. You can reach us by email, info at thecigarcast.com. Uh, you can reach us facebook.com slash thecigarcast, and, of course, Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Sean, thanks again for stopping by and talking to us for a show. Thank you for having me. And we look forward to smoking more General Cigars. Absolutely. Thanks, gentlemen.